Oh, there. Okay, so what we did last week um, was claim that according to Yadid Nefesh, that's page one of the Makarot, the way to understand what goes on in the Sugi and the Rishalmi is that there's a Machlokos in Rav and Rav Yochan about what the best way to protect employees is. One of them said the way to do it is to avoid any trace of slavery. And so there's a Pasuk that says slavery is usur. And any, right, and anything, right? Um, and it's true there is a there is a thing called slavery in the Torah, but it's us to bring yourself into the situation. And certainly, it's us to right to right to frame anything else in terms of that. That has to be uh, the extreme version. I would write. There's a term I use called chokification. Right? Chokification is when you take a law that might seem rational or sensible, and you say, no, we're going to treat it as if it has no purpose at all. We can't understand it at all. If we can't understand it at all, then we can't generalize it. It's limited to its own area. So slavery is chokified explicitly by a pasuk, which says, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. Avadim, avadim. Right? That's the, that's the way we understand it. So that's one way. As opposed to Rav Yochanan, who said, no, actually the laws of slavery are set up to protect the people in the weaker position, so let's apply them broadly. Okay. Right, so we saw other ways of reading the Yerushalmi, but uh, big adol, that is what I think is the most compelling reading of the Yerushalmi. Um, but it makes an assumption about what we're doing, uh, right? Is that right? That it has to be interrogated in uh, in a bunch of in a really like. Let's start with Rav and Rav Yochanan Amorayim. Right. So what's their relationship to prior tradition? Usually, midrash halacha is not a is not a productive in the Amoraic period. Usually, midrash halacha in the Amoraic period is a Reconstructive effort to right to um, to justify a consensus halacha. Um, so Rav and Rav Yochanan, right? So the easiest way to understand Rav and Rav Yochanan is that there's something they agree about, and now they're figuring out what the rationalization for that thing they agree about is. Uh, now I am framing that as um, you know, where there's a, an agreed moral goal. Which is, that, right, um, which is the protection of the weak against the strong and the general presumption that the employee is the weak and the employer is the strong. Um, but that's not the only way you can look at it. You could look at it as having, right, that there's one specific law, uh, or two, but let's say one specific law that they know is true masoretically. We might say that law is poel chozer bo And they're just looking for ways to generalize that law without any prior moral um, notion, it could be that um, right that my attempt to frame those makara more um, right in terms of teleologically in terms of the goals they're trying to accomplish societally is not correct at all. We're just trying to make law, and we're supposed to make law uh, as if the law is morally disembodied. We follow we right, we trace we we start with from first principles. We trace the halacha, and then at the end. Right, maybe right, reconstructively, right, to use a, a term that becomes famous from the uh, from the Rav, uh, right, we reconstructively, when we know what the halacha is, then we could try to figure out what it's trying to tell us. But to try and say no, we're going to start from the first principles, right? That's engaging in tamei mitzvot, and maybe we shouldn't be doing we shouldn't be doing that. Okay, I I'm frank that I do think that we have to that you know that the right way to do it is with moral first principles. I have a formal argument to do that within halacha, within halacha, but I don't want to pretend that everybody has always done it that way or that it's a given that we do it that way. I think that all things being equal, 
uh, halacha that doesn't consider that doesn't ever consider first principles will go adrift. Um, does that right? I think the challenge is how can you have confidence about your first principles, right? What do you do politically when the first principles are in dispute, right? Those are right. Those are pragmatic questions. But if you ask me in principle, do I think halacha is supposed to be interpreted with, without first principles? The answer, I think, the answer to that I think is no. I'll, you know, I guess I'll do the, the one minute formal argument. I think I may have said to you previously, is that the Gemara asks what? How do we? There was a famous statement, right? There are three things you have to give up your life to, rather than do. Right? Avodah famously has a pasuk, right? Gileyarayos comes from a hekesh to to shvichus namim, right? It says kasher yakum ish or eir tzarcho nefesh ken hadavar hazeh, right? That the rape of an aram erasa is equivalent to murder. Great, and then Gemara says shvichus damim gufei minalon. How do we know that shvichus damim itself is yihar galyavur? And the answer is it's a svara. Right? Who says your blood is redder than his? Which means that in order to interpret the hekesh, you have to know the svara. But the svara has no source. You just have to know it. Right? That's my usual you know, attempt, like one, one sentence proof that you're not supposed to interpret halacha without prior principles. Then we can spend a whole semester complicating that. You know, like, how could you have that svara when there's another pasuk which says, right? What about the whole context of rodev? Right? There are all sorts of ways in which we can complicate that svara, and it's really quite astonishing that we take that svara as a given when there's all the contrary evidence about it. But for me, like that's the, you know, like, like the one, the, of the, the shirim I give is introduction when I'm doing, when I'm, right, let's say, the Sermon Midrash, right, so two of them, one of them is, is just this shir, right, where I, where, I, where I lay out that halacha depends on a prior thing, and the other one is on Darshina and Talmud and showing that in fact we do allow Tamei Mitzvot to impact halacha um, in some ways. So that's where I come from, but I'm, yeah, but, I, but I think in, principle that you need to be able to defend yourself against, right? particularly because I have a bias, you need to be able to defend yourself against it. So I don't want to teach you only that way. And as Marty points out correctly, if you do that all the time, so then you run the risk of just making halacha in your subjective image, which would be great if it were my subjective image, but there are all these other people whose images are, of course, you know, much less divine, who <laughs> right, have to be taken into account. So procedurally, it's much better. Uh, I'm obviously joking, but, you know, that, but it's true. right? And I, and I have made enough mistakes in, uh, in my life that I do not actually wish to replace God that way. Okay, so today we're going to take a look at a different way of understanding the sugya, which doesn't radically differ in terms of its understanding of the sugya, but I think gives you a, right, develops the halacha in a different way. And let's see if we, right, let's see how we, how we react to that. We're going to do it in the nesiva. So nesiva is responding to the, uh, to the ksos, right? So we're in the, uh, the early 18th century. I'm terrible at this. Uh, late 17th, early 18th century, Yaakov Lorberbaum. Uh, right, the Chnesivos and the Ksos are the two great um, conceptual commentaries on Choshe Mishpat, uh, right, where, they, where they do try and frame everything in terms of ideas. They're brisker as before there was brisk. Um, so it's a, right, it's a, uh, it, I think it's a, it's a fair model. And then we'll try and, what we'll do after, after we're going to do the Shulchan we're going to do what the Nesivos does explaining sort of the, the environment of the Shulchan Aruch, the, the context of the Shulchan Aruch, and then we'll try and go back to building back to the Shulchan Aruch as it exists right up on a, um, a diachronic level, like taking a look at what the Shulchan Aruch himself said his, his sources were, and then seeing, seeing what, what, we think, what we think actually happened. Okay, so here we go. Shulchan Aruch says the following. So, right, so the worker began their work. 
the Chazar Hayom, and he breaks in midday, Chazer. So he's allowed to be Chazer. Uh, right? We're not getting into the question yet of what exactly happens when he's Chazer financially. Uh, but here the Shulchan Aruch adds something that we have not seen previously. Even if the poil was paid in advance for the entire job. And he can't return the advance. Right? He's allowed to breach the contract and owe the money. Right, so that's an amazing uh, move, right? To say that the, the ban on specific performance goes so far, right, is allowed, even, you know, you can imagine like extreme ways to take advantage of it, right? I'll, you know, let's, I'll sign a 20-year contract, pay me 20 years in advance, and to, right, and I put the money in some, you know, some, some you know, investment that ties it up so I have no liquidity, and then break the contract the next day. That's a great way to get a no-interest loan. <laughs> um, right, so this, this I think, is, is a pretty radical claim, right, that you can break the contract even if you've been paid in advance, even if you can't return it. And as trying to figure, right? And he says, "What's the source of this? The source of this is kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, v'lo avadim lavadim." So, on the surface, what it seems to me is that it's making a claim that any situation of specific performance is a violation of kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. Is there anything that we've seen so far in Gemara that takes it this far? No, I don't believe so. Uh, I don't believe I don't believe we have seen any Gemara which needs to be interpreted this way, and in fact, when reading the Gemara, we didn't suggest it. Right? You could just say, okay, right, you know, but if you have a deep hatred of specific performance and you think specific performance is slavery, so then that would be right. So then that that follows. Well, so according yeah. to the view that we, according to the interpretation of the Yerushalmi, which which separates out the Yahalakarbo and the you know and the Yado. Yeah. That says, is an absolute principle, and then we worry about the financial consequences right. afterwards. So this is very consistent with that. Yeah. No. Yeah, but it's 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 a conceptually coherent position, right? That's uh, right. I think right. I think it's a specific performance is usur and discussion. Yeah. Yeah, uh, right. It's in, and you know, it's Shulchan Aruch, right? So, uh, right. If it was a very short shear, I would convince you that we were a radically pro-labor uh, legal system, right? Because it's hard to get better than that, right? That, that you can break any, in any circumstance. Okay, uh, right. And he quotes Kilibin Yisrael Avadim, Avadim Avadim, which is the drasha quoted by Rav in the in the Yerushalmi. The pasuk quoted by Rav in the Yerushalmi, but the drasha comes from the Bavli, which we have carefully avoided seeing. Right, but we just keep noticing that the Bavli always quotes "lo avadim lavadim," as opposed to the Yerushalmi, which language was "ein Yisrael konim Okay, it's important to keep those two those two formulations in mind because at some point it may be that um, that what you think the correct way of reading depends on which of those you pick, um, and. A story that I, I think is important to understand me as a pedagogue in some ways. Um, when I was in Dr. Salvechik's shear, so he gave a shear, uh, he was teaching Yerushalmi Trumos. So he gave a shear on Yerushalmi Trumos, and it was, you know, it was always brilliant. And we were totally convinced by the shear. 
And then he came back after like he spent a month, you know, a month and a half doing his theory, and he taught us the Grizz, uh, his great uncle, on the same uh, on the same sugya. And we looked at him and we said, "This is just nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit the text. How on earth did your great uncle say something? Right? It's obvious what pshat is." And then what he showed us was that it actually wasn't so. What he showed us was that. If you started, if you were committed to the Yerushalmi, then his, his, his reading was a much better read of the Yerushalmi, which required you to make certain dochakim in the Bavli, which you were willing to accept for the goal of understanding the Yerushalmi well. Whereas the Grizz was learning Bavli. And his chat made perfect sense if the Bavli was your base text and you were, just, and you were willing to make sacrifices in the Yerushalmi to get there. And so, right, it's not like, you know, that as a pedagogic technique, right, what you have to do is establish a question at the beginning of the shir. And I, I often make a reference, it's totally out of my league, but it's useful to some people, classical music, like tonic and dominant, the notes you start with, everybody's waiting in suspense till you hear those notes again at the end, and, right, and it won't be satisfying unless you return to those notes that were played at the beginning of the piece. So the same token, you give a shir, if you don't answer the kash you asked at the beginning, nobody will find the answer satisfying. If you, get, if you answer the questions you asked at the start of the shir well, nobody will care what else you, what you did in the middle. <laughs> uh, and I've done this. I used to do that pen. I used to give directly contradictory shir on consecutive weeks and nobody would catch me because I just asked different questions as a way of illustrating this. So it makes a big difference whether you're trying to, right, whether you think the, the language you need to interpret is any Yisrael konim or the language you need to interpret is, is the below avadim, below avadim. Um, right, um, okay, so with that background, here we go. The Nesiva says the following, Okay, so he says the Ksos looks at this, um, looks at this Shulchan Aruch and says the Shulchan Aruch very specifically grounds it in Rav's Pasuk, Kili ben Yisrael Abadim, because according to those poskim, which who remain totally hypothetical for now, who believe that the reason that you can't enforce specific performance, the reason is not derivable from Kili B'nai Israel, but by a reverse Kalvachomer from Eved Ivri. So now the rule is, an Eved Ivri can be held to specific performance unless they can pay. So if Eved Ivri is the paradigm, then this halach of Shulchan Aruch is not true. Because right, right, everybody is the paradigm. We can't say that specific performance is, is always usher, because it, right, we say that specific performance is usher unless the, the person doesn't, already has the money. And if they have the money, then, you, right, then you're, entitled to, you're entitled to demand specific performance. Okay, so the first thing, Nesivas quotes the Ksos, and he says that if the Ksos says that the Shulchan Aruch is picking one side, and on the other side of it, right, if you think that the, that the paradigm is avdus, this halacha would not be true. We would say that you, cannot, um, that you cannot break the contract if you've been paid in advance and you don't have the immediate capacity to repay. Okay, umahai tama, but now he says, and right, on the same basis, the Ksos writes, So he's going to quote halacha and we're going to take it as a given for now. Uh, okay, so the Shulchan Aruch is going to Paskin, he says, um, that, that when the Paul breaks the contract, if the, um, if the work has been devalued in the, right, 
in the interim, right? Let's, but we make a contract for that in the end is worth $10. But in the interim, the right, in the, let's say $12. They work in the, worth $12. But in the interim, labor, right, labor, labor, wage, wages are cut by 50%. So by contract, right, by contract, I'm supposed to receive six, but the worth of what I'm leaving out is only three. So he, so he says, the Shulchan is going to paskin, that even if the worker breaks the contract, they still they get nine. Because what you do is you deduct from the contract the worth of what they didn't do, as opposed to paying them for what they did. Right? You can imagine at least three outcomes: three, because that's all the work they did is worth now; six, which is what we contracted for; or nine, which is as if they were paid in advance, and now they just have to return what they didn't do. Okay, so he claims that the Shulchan Aruch is going to, is um, or that somebody is going to paskin that even though the word right, the opposite of it's not just that the poel's yad isn't al tachtona if he quits, the poel's yad is al hilyona. Even if the poel is the one who breaches, right, so how can that be? Right, yitin lo yoter How can it emerge that the poel? Gets more than what he did, which is not really precise. It's how can the how can how can the poll get more than what he agreed to get for what he did, even though the right week, right, even though there was no deception, and even though the breach is the fault is directly the willing, right. So the poll is allowed to breach to gain an advantage, right. That's really right. That's really that's really what it says. Okay, Vazekatov. So Xelos writes about that. The kevan duhumitam giron kesef. Since the rationale for allowing the poll to break is that it's analogous to the right to the Evan Ivory's ability to buy his way out of a contract, right? So the right so the answer is pretty straightforward, right? How does Evan Ivory buy himself out? He buys himself out. It says in the Pasuk that you pay for the remaining years. And halacha, we're going to take as a given again. The Gemara Kedushin says that we pay for the intervening years. You pay for what the intervening years would cost now. It's not proportional. From the right, beishivis haudef. Right, he right he pays he pays for the remaining years. So if that so if evidivri is taken as a paradigm, so then that should be halacha here too. Okay, so now we have already begun transforming evidivri into a formal model right we're not thinking about reasons right we're thinking about is what is right just mechanically transferring the law is this right now there's no necessary conflict here but we could also think no it never needs more protection than a worker right so well so similarly if the price of labor goes up and it's now nine would you only get three presumably not i think but we don't know right he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't explain he doesn't he doesn't explain that and I don't know which way it goes by Evid Ivory either. My bet is Evid Ivory gets the advantage both ways. And so that would apply the worker gets the advantage both ways, right? I think that what he's saying is Yada Poel Al Holyona. Or Yada Balabayas Al Tafton. I think that's what he's saying, but he doesn't give tell me that here. So that's a great question. Okay. Um, right, so this is the right, the Kso says presented by the Nasivas, says, look, there are two models. One model is Khalib and Israel of Adim. One model is right, one model is is the rule for, is the rule for um, Giron Kesev, and the way it should line up is if you think that the right, that the, that there's never a specific performance, then you should also think that uh, right then your mod, then your model must not be evidivri, and then 
you have to figure out the law as to what happens if the law changes, and probably you'd figure out saying that the worker gets what they were promised and not more, because it doesn't make any sense if you're thinking about workers per se. You would say, look, there's a contract. How can you possibly get more than your right, more than your your contract if you broke the contract? Post facto, that doesn't make any sense. But if you're thinking mechanically, okay, workers like inevitability, so that's what the inevitability gets. Okay. Um, but then the evidence has, to, but the price is again the evidence has to have the money in order to do this, right? Right. So yeah, right. So, so now if we're looking at it from a benefit strategy, so the so what he's saying is you can't have both things. You can't both be able to break the contract if you don't have the money, and get paid more than and get paid more than was contracted. You have to choose between those advantages. Okay. So now he says the fiyani estati should davar zel machlokas amaroyim biyershalmi bezel l'shonah yershalmi al mishnah the kol chozer boyadol tachtona. And he quotes Ari Rishalmi, Ad Khan Lashon Hirishalmi. Right, exactly the way we have it. No, no gains with that. The Kasuvetli Perish Hirishalmi Mikvar. So on the Siva says, I already understood this Yerushalmi. Uh, right before I before I looked at this Ksos, I already knew what the Yerushalmi said. So I'm not right, his claim is I'm not adapting the Yerushalmi to a prior conception. I read the Yerushalmi, this is what I thought it meant. Here's what I thought it meant. The Rav Silver. Okay, Rav says that you simply cannot do this thing called a Kinyan on a Jew, except in the context of Eved So we say that everything, right, Eved Ivri is, right, we're, we're, we're entirely in our universe that we say Eved Ivri is the exception, and right, everything, right, anything that is Eved Ivri is Asr, but we don't define it by the power relationship. We define it by the formal question of whether there is this thing called a kinyan. Right, so right, so what right, so what Rav teaches is that there can't be a kinyan on a Jew outside the universe of Adivri. And therefore, since there's no kinyan, so there's nothing binding at all. Okay, because without a kinyan, really nothing happens halachically. And therefore, the employer should be able to back out just like the employee. Okay, so then why does the employer ever have to pay the worker for anything going forward? Right? Why does he have to pay, right? He can just say, look, there's no contract, I broke it, let's go home. So the answer is he claims that, the, that even though you're free to break the contract, you have to pay for the damages you caused. Now, um, probably most of you know, right, there's a thing called Groma Benazikin, and a Groma Benazikin you cannot be held liable for, and there's a thing called a Grami Benazikin, which is a statement that you can't be liable for a Groma Benazikin unless we want to make you liable, in which case we call it a Grami. I think that's probably the easiest way of explaining it. <laughs> we can do it the other way around, right, which is you are liable unless we want to call it a Groma. Uh, right? I'm sure we can have very important conceptual distinctions between those. And to be fair, there is a whole book of the Ramban trying to explain the difference between Grama and Garmi. Uh, for our purposes, we'll pretend that it makes that really only two categories. This is the this is the kind you pay for. Okay, fine. Um, okay, the um, but that's right. So right. So therefore, right. If all you're doing is paying for actual damages, so then obviously he says it makes sense. So obviously you can't pay him more than the damage you caused him. Right, we're not. You're not right. Right. That that doesn't make that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense at all. 
And similarly, right, he says, if the Balabayas breaches the contract not by choice, but because of right, but because of circumstances beyond his control, right? So now a new right, new a new and important Nachmina. What happens if the employer breaches the contract but not on by choice? So the answer for him is that in this that in this universe where there's no Kenyan, so the Balabayas can't be chayev. Doesn't matter how much the workers lose because we're not interested in who loses. We're just following out the mechanical consequences of believing that what happened between the employer and the employee is something that doesn't constitute a Kenyan. And therefore whatever happens has to be grounded, whatever, whatever is owed has to be grounded in something other than the commitments between the parties. Okay. Um, so the halacha that the Ksos was, was explaining, whoever said it, uh, right? If the, po- if the poel causes the damage to himself by breaching the contract, okay. So then, right? Obviously, you only pay him what he did, and maybe even pay him only what is right. The other reverse, right? Maybe only pay him three, because whatever damage it causes, his own damage, right? Right. So that's right. So the the way the nesiva explains it, right, is that the the absence of a kenyan fundamentally means that we that employment reverts to every other kind of relationship. All it means, right, all it does, all Kili Ben Yisrael Avadim does is prevent a pole employment from being an evident, from being an evident, from being an evident relationship. And once we've gotten rid of Avdus, then the laws just follow as they are. We have no interest in the outcome as long as we prevent specific performance. Okay. Um... Rabbi Yochanan Sovar, the Eved Ivri who Rabbi Yochanan says, no, actually every employee is an Eved Ivri. Just an Eved Ivri with slightly, right, without the specific regulations of how long the contract is and being able to give you, right, to give you a, a, a shifcha and all things like that. But basically, right, basically an employee is, is owned. Right, Kinyan Begufo. An employee is owned. Okay, so now an employee is owned, so what, what's the consequences of that? Alright, so now this is the, the culture cane is gonna be interesting to us for a while, right? Is it more is it equivalence or is it culture cane? If it's equivalence, that's a very strong statement. If it's culture cane, then conceptually it's not anywhere near as powerful. For now, we're going to treat it as an equivalence, right? Because he said, began by saying inevitably that he is inevitably, right? The culture cane he puts in because he knows what source he's reading, and the source he's reading says culture cane, and, we'll, and we're going to have to figure out whether that really matters or not, right? So on that claim, that it's the, the, on the assumption that we're reading it the way he said it before, that it's the same. So he said, okay, right? So really, um, really, the only reason an employee can break the contract is because inevitably can also break the contract. Um, okay, he says, And this language, he says, right, he's deriving from the Marami Rotenberg, right? So the Chuvas Maimuni is the collection of the Chuvas Marami Rotenberg that was printed in the back of the, uh, of the, um, of the, sta- of a standard, the early, sta- the early standard Rambams. Uh, so again, right, so if the answer is, if it's, if it's Nevedivri, so then we do everything exactly the way Nevedivri does. Okay, 
So now, the cave in the Bishasti Lon Paskul Halacha Kirav, Amar Pol Yochalachzer Bo. So in right, since in in our Gemara we paskin like Rav who says Pol Yochalachzer Bo, it's true we paskin like Rav. It's true that Rav says Pol Yochalachzer Bo, but we haven't established that that's picking size in the Yerushalmi. And Rabbi Yochanan also says Pol Yochalachzer Bo, right? But let's uh, work on the assumption that we do say that. The cave in Shetafsu Belashon Belashon Chazara, since they use the word Pol Yochalachzer Bo. So he thinks the language of Chazara suggests that we're not talking about an Evid Ivri model, because Evid Ivri model is not Chazara. An Evid Ivri model is a, um, right, is a new phenomenon. You made a deal. You're not going back on the deal. You're buying your way out of the deal. So since the Gemara, he thinks, uses the language Chazara, right, that, he thinks, suggests that it means that you were never bound in the first place. Right, that's an interesting linguistic claim. Because right? it's not like an Evidivri, who is owned, so he has to buy himself back. Right? That's not Chazara. It's a new transaction. Um, that's why you have to pay cash. You can't make it a loan. Um uh, I think that the Kevin is odd. It's really bad. He's, he is in the Din Chazara. Right? If I, if we have a, if we make a sale, but we don't make a Kenyan on the sale, right? We just agree to make a sale. So you haven't bought me. Right? And if I, if I have to return the object and I don't right, and, and I don't have right, and I don't have the money, so to return to, right, if you want to return the object, I have to return the money. So we make it right. If the if the object is returnable, right, it hasn't been it hasn't been bought already, but the object is returnable because we say the sale was invalid. So then the money becomes a loan because you didn't you have no claim on me. You just have a right to money. So, the, so I thought that the case you explained yeah. where you give me the money for the object and mm. then I never gave you the object. So that could be, right? It could very well be, right? And in, case, and in that case, is the exchange of the money not sufficient to be a Kenyan? Uh, no, right? We hold that, right? This is like the confusing thing that we, but we hold halakhically that it is that the, a a um, a purchase is not consummated until the object is transferred. The, hand, the handing of money is not a Kenyan. Uh, right, that's the whole thing about Hazav, right? what's going on what. Uh, right, but we think you have to be Moshech, the object, the, the, hand, the hand, right, straight halakha, the hand, right, paying for something does not constitute, does not give you a kinyan on the object. Uh, it just creates an obligation, the other person either give you the object to return your money. But again, if he can't return the money, it doesn't mean, right, so then he owes you the money. Right, exactly right, okay. Uh, okay, pamim, Okay, right. So there you have what I think is the right, is a very right, a totally different model of looking at the same machloket, same data. But right, but it, right, but there's no moral framework at all except that there's a machloket about specific performance. One person says Abdus is evil, so you can't have specific performance. So one person says no, Abdus is not evil. Why can't you have specific performance as long as right, it meets these terms? Oh, this is basically okay. I guess that would be a you know a little harsh way. And as to and 
There's no way to predict which one comes out better for the employer or the employee. Because once we've made our decision, right, the way that frame the way that's framed legally is, is there a Kenyan? Is there not a Kenyan? And so whether if there's no Kenyan, so then the right, so that right, so every market fluctuation will right will affect one person will be one party's advantage, the other party's disadvantage. And which way it turns out will all, will just be whichever right whichever way the mechanics play out, like sales. So yeah. The implication there, though, that if the um, so there's no Kenyan mm -hmm. on that side of it, and then so if the market fluctuates, if it's you know a, a three-day job and the market fluctuates by the end of the first or second day, then the poll can basically leverage that. Let's say the market, let's say the um, price has gone up. According to the, the way the Nesivos understands the Xos, yes, the Nepal always has the, that advantage of le leverage, leveraging the market. Whereas according to Rav, no. Right? According to Rav, right, I, again, in terms I gave earlier, the point that Rav thinks there's nothing special about employment other, it, than, yeah. other than the ban on specific performance. Does it follow by it also? I don't think so. Because according to Rabbi Yochanan's model, the Balabayas doesn't have a right to be closed there whenever he wants. Right? The owner can't, the owner can't, the owner can't send the slave away. Yeah. Right? So I think that's, right, so I think in the end of the day, I would say, you know, another way of framing is that Rav thinks that the there's one halacha which is a ban on specific performance, and every other way employment law is just a reg regular non-contract law. Um, and Rabbi Yochanan, on the other hand, says no, that all every aspect of labor law is governed by the model of evidivri. Again, for better or for worse, right? But not right. There's never nobody thinks about. Nobody asks the question, what sort of labor market do we want directly? So neither of those is consistent with That is, uh, unless you think that's normal contract law. Except you might write, without, right, there's no, right, just means when well, there's no Kenyan. Right, so that depends, right, so we have, we'd have to, look at, in normal contract law, what happens if you're closer but without a Kenyan? And that Makolgas could be no different here than anywhere else, right? We could have the Makolgas universally. But it's not either of these opinions. That's correct. It's not either of these positions. Um, right, so they don't, and they don't acknowledge that part of the mission at all. Um, they're not discussed, they haven't discussed how that relates. Oh, good, right? We haven't talked about Kabonis versus, but right, that, that could very well be different. Right? I, I have avoided that. I have avoided that, but that's entirely correct, right? That all, all this will have to be filtered through, uh, right, we, right, we have to ask the question, right, what are we talking about in this whole, in, the, in this halacha? We're talking about both kablanim and polim or only polim, right? We could just say that that line of the Mishnah is talking about, talking about kablanim, and we're talking about polim, and go home. Right? Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely right. Uh, right? I think that is, in fact, what we will do, but I don't want to bias us. <laughs> Uh, right, because remember, right, we did in advance, like, we know that, that right, there's the Cheshbon and the Gemara going on, right, we haven't talked about Rabbi Dosa and the Rabbanon yet either, right, the, when the Ksos talks about the, when the, when the Ksos talks about one party getting more than the, right, get, getting more than he intended, so we don't, that was only one of the positions between Rabbanon and Rabbi Yochanan, right, 
and and um, and Rabbi Dosa was doing it, and the Sardin the Sivos and Nixos have managed to present the issue without discussing that, but in the back of their minds they have to have that. Uh, right? And, you know, it could be that, we, that I'm oversimplifying everything, and we just think that, you know what, the world of, let's say, Poland is governed by Evidivri, and the word of Kabbalah is not. Right? We, right, we, right, we, right, we, could, we could do it that way also. Right? All I wanted to get out of the net just for now is to show you like, that there's a totally different model. Right? I tried to build everything on moral teleological grounds. Right? What, do we, what, what, what do we think of the, the relationship between labor and capital? And here, no. Right? We have one thing. We have specific performance, and we have a model for what we think is enlightened relationships. Right? That's a different way of looking at it. Okay. So let's go take a look at the right at the what the um, the sources the Nasivos was working from, and let's see and let's see how they play out. I guess I'll do a, a one minute uh, riff, R I F F, which um, <laughs> which uh, I'm really not sure about. My inclination is that Lamdanim really loved the world the word Kenyan. Uh, right, and the Kenyan becomes the thing, and whether it has a Kenyan or not, that becomes like the whole core. Uh, Rabbi Bleich, Rabbi Rabbi has a whole thing about how, like, what the uniqueness of halacha is this notion of Kenyan. Um, the problem is that Kenyan just has no moral content at all. It's just a way of acquiring things. It has all sorts of interesting conceptual things, but it has, right, but it's not, it's hard to figure out why it matters religiously. That there's a Kenyan. You can try and play it out, right, as to how it relates to God owning everything, right? Uh, right? Nobody really owns anything. There's no really concept of ownership, and the right, the Kenyan is just a, a rights-based thing in an object we don't actually own. There are all sorts of fancy ways to do it. But simply put, right, Kenyan is a mechanical way of looking at law. Uh, and there's a lot of value to that because the primary purpose of law is to predictability. So that people know what will happen, because usually justice and monetary things means the thing happens that both parties expect it to happen. Right? right? The challenge is what what happens if the thing that both parties expect to happen is that they're inured to injustice, right? That's the challenge of systemic injustice, as opposed to predictability. That is what I put out, right? That if that frame everything in terms of Kenyan makes it very hard to think about purposes. Because Kenyan, right, Kenyan takes on a life of its own. You can decide which way you want that or not. Um, okay. So the Beis Yosef, uh, um, right, the tour doesn't mention the halacha we're talking about, about what, what happens if you can't pay back. The Beis Yosef says, Kasev Marik Beshoresh Kuf is correct in our editions. Pol Yochel Lachzubo, Afilu Kibel Kvar Demez Chirosu, Ve'ein Hamoz Biro Lishlema Balabayas, Afilu Hachi Yochel Lachzorolov, Ve'amoz Chobolov. So it seems like the, um, right, what we have in the Shulcharach, the uh, halacha is an exact quote, although the Marik, as he quotes it, doesn't have Kili Ben Yisrael Vadim as the source. All right. Um, whereas, did, did uh, the Shulchan Aruch did say Kili Ben Yisrael Vadim, right? So the Beis doesn't quote that, but we'll have to go look and see whether the Marik says it or not. Okay, now to get to the Marik, you have to know right, that Mar- the Marik, and this is you know, an interesting question, the Marik is not about this at all. Marik is not interested in Paulim and relation between Paulim and employers at all. Marik is interested in, a to, in, in, a Hilchus, in Hilchus Shutfim. In the context of a very long discussion of Hilchus Shutfim, he throws in an aside about, right, in our context. So that you can either, so there are two ways to handle that. One way is to say, is, okay, it's just a throwaway line, so it doesn't have any significance. The other way is to say he's so sure about it that he's willing to use it to prove something else. 
So this is not the place where he develops it, but that he just takes it as a given, right, is really, is really important. So we'll have to figure out which way. So what he's building off is uh, there are two places where um, where the Ravid is cholik on the Rambam. It's really, uh, there may be three places, but for our purposes, we're only going to deal with two right now. Because there's also a tshuva, which may or may not disagree with the Rambam. So the first is what the Rambam holds, that advarim she'en behen mamish, ain't a kinyan moil behen. Okay, so one of the peculiarities of this thing called kinyan is that a kinyan can only inhere in an object that is substantial. Okay, now, obviously, it's going to be possible to attribute substance in substantial objects. When, th- when, when life gets tough, right? So, right, we don't have these, you know, Balbatish thinks about it, that means, right? But as a, the, the category, for our purpose is all these things can just be reduced to words. A thing which is called Ein Ben Mamish, a Kenyan can't be Chala. Okay, what's an example of a Kenyan that, uh, of Shein Ben Mamish? So, if the two of us agree to be partners, so there's no stuff that, that, that the Kenyan can be on. The Kenyan is just on our relationship. A relationship is not a is not a thing sheyeshbo mamish, and therefore, there right therefore there cannot be such a thing as a Kenyan, right, as a Kenyan shutfus per se. It has to adhere in something. That must be why there's no Kenyan kedushin. So then, right. So we're gonna have to right. Kedushin is gonna be a whole mess, right? As to how how we play it out, right? What is the Kenyan here in, right? So this is like this is one of the areas where Kenyan becomes highly technical, right? What does a Kenyan inherit? In? Because right, we're going to look at because there are lots of kinyanim about relationships, marriage being just one of them. Okay, but the Rambam says in a kinyan loyal ban, and he gives an example. Right, right. We we have acquired as a kinyan from so and so that he's going to be in right. He's going to engage in business with the other person. So what? Right, that's what it's called. He says the Rambam says areza kinyan dvarim ve'eno moil klum. Okay, you're trying to make this Kenyan, uh, this Kenyan inhere in words, and Kenyanim cannot inhere in words. Okay, unless, right, sometimes you might have to have hydroponically grown Kenyanim, but generally, <laughs> generally Kenyanim needs something solid, needs something solid to, uh, to inhere in. Uh, right, people, people like image like that, you know, that the, a Kenyan is a chalos, and it hovers around an object, and it's just waiting, it has to inhere in an object, otherwise it's stuck as a, whatever, it's a form without matter, it's a nasham without a goof, whatever you want. Um, okay. Uh, right, you haven't given him something identifiable. Again, that's a new right. If we were doing Kenyan, we have to figure out what's the difference between Einba Mamish and Mesuyam Viodua. Mesuyam Viodua seems like more like identifiable, measurable things like that. But they all they add to the same category. What matters to us is the Ravid says, "Avalhashituf Atzmo Nikne Bikinian." But the, the, the part, a partner can bind themselves to be your partner. You can't, right? A partnership can't be binding. But a partner can be bound, says the writer. Okay? And he's consistent about this, because they're not right. What's that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? Well, he has this, he had this star, right? Yeah. Uh, it says the kanina right. If it said the x hikna atzmo le y, the y hikna atzmo le x, that would work. So, 
It's a language question. On the first level, it's a language question. Do you claim that the Kenyan inheres in the parties? Or do you claim that the parties are bound to each other? Or do you claim that there's a binding relationship? Binding relationship doesn't work. Parties bound to each other does work. Right, so right, so the Kenyan, right, the Kenyan is going to inherit in the woman in some way. It's like, what kind of Kenyan is it? Is Kenyan a goof? You know, if I, by marriage speech, right, there are two ways of framing it. One way is the Kenyan a goof. The other is that there is a thing called the Kenyan achrayus, which you bind yourself to fulfill something. And so the question in terms of marriage is whether you are right, the man is acquiring the woman, or the man is binding himself to the woman. Uh, and the proof that or risk I got, I got from a risk, and other people have brought it that you can also read on my blog, I've given other arguments that um, normally when you engage in a transaction with a star, the star is handed by the owner to the purchaser. Right? That's, how a star, star, right? That's how a star works. Right? I, I write a star, I hand it to you, and, right, and you acquire the object when I hand you the star. Okay? Or the obligations. Right? That's how Exuba works. Right? Okay, now if you, uh, we don't do condition by star nowadays, but if you were to do condition by star, guess who hands the star to whom? The groom hands the star to the bride. So that must mean the groom is the seller. Right? That's, the, that's, the easy, that's the easy argument for, uh, for claiming that the condition is a kinin achrayus and not a kinin aguf. Obviously, it doesn't work with all Rishonim, um, but it's a, it's, a good, it's a good start for, uh, right, for, for, for reframing condition that way because the, the argument is a really good argument. Right? There's other evidence you have to explain that way, but the argument is a really good argument. Yeah, uh, there are lots of other things it doesn't explain well, but it's a really good argument, <laughs> right? So you know, now if you if I start off the shear by saying why is star, why does the star go from the groom to the bride, and right, and that's how I start the shear, and the answer is well because the king achray is not a king aguf, everything else you know is is just uh, details. I like giving the shear that way, um, but yeah, there's lots of stuff to explain the other way. Um, Yeah, well, it doesn't give you the language of the right, it's giving the language. The language would have to be that, right, as opposed to, you know, that, right, oh, it's also Harayim Kedushin. Right, lots of details it doesn't explain well, but that one detail it really explains well and can't be explained the other way very well. So that's right. You can read it, you know, if you look and, you know, I have a, a blog post called "Do Husbands Own Their Wives," which uh, where I, I quote a fun piece from um, Rav, uh, Rav um, blanking Rav Ochanan Wasserman's Chavrusa, who turned whose son turned out to be Rav in Wayu. So his son published his father's his father's kiddush about this, which he has a whole proof that husbands don't own their wives. Also, uh, right? So you know, shouldn't think that it's a late twentieth century feminist phenomenon, right? It's, we're talking about you know pre-war, pre-war, pre-war Lithuania or Lachlan Wasserman's yeshiva. People already had this problem, and had their arguments for it. You can read the argument and see if you find it compelling or not. Um, okay, so the Rambam in the other place, right? Hilchos Shutfin Perik Dal Lachabeis, right? We we were at Mechira Heyudal, and now we're in Shutfin Lachabeis. The Rambam says, "Umnen shenishtafu beumnus, afel pisha kanum yadam enan Shutfin." The Rambam thinks, right? The Rambam thinks there isn't any way to do it. Okay, so it seems like the Rambam thinks that. You can't make a Kenyan Shutfus because a Kenyan Shutfus is really just a Kenyan Haguf, which we don't allow. Right? That's a way of framing it. Right? The, Ramah, right? the Ramah, Pashtus, the Ramam is not saying that you, you chose the wrong language. 
Ram is saying you can't, right? This is not something that can be done. Uh, whereas the Ravid says, no. Ravid says, Verabosai Horu, Shadam Yachol Haknos, Es Asmo Lichavero, Bekinyan, Kedin Avadim. Right, if a woman right, tries to be maktish her own, right, the, the fruits of her own hands, right, so that seems to suggest uh, a parallel. We don't need to get into that parallel now. The, right, so the simplest way, or a simple way of understanding the Mahlokas Ramam and Ravid is that the Ramam holds that you can never be makna yourself to anybody else. And if you try to, we will see through it, right? There's a concept in American constitutional law called piercing the veil. Right? You, put, right, you put something up and, you're right, and we say, no, that's not really what it is. And every legal system has to choose whether to, right, whether to look at the, at, the, at the outside or whether to look at the inside. Um, matters, for example, very often, right, like Lepinab and many other things, right, where you can't do anything that directly compels the get, but you can do things that have, that have, third part, that have, that have tertiary effects that lead to lead to a person wanting to give the get. So if you want to pierce the veil because you don't really like freeing a go note, you say, ha, you're really trying to compel a get. And if you understand that it's evil to try and want their go note, you say, look, formally it has nothing to do with a get. Right? That's right, that's right, that's the that's the, the same kind of the same kind of notion. So the Ramam says that when people try to bind themselves to each other, we look at it and we say, you can't do that. You can't do that. And the Ravid says, why not? We allow Avdus. Now you can look at it and say, oh, well, the whole point is that according to that, the Rambam says that Kilib and Israel Avadim has one principle, which is you can't be, ma- you can't be makna yourself to somebody else. And the Ravid says, no, that's not the principle at all. The principle is that when you're makna yourself to somebody else, it has to be bound by the laws of Avdus. For the Rambam, though, yeah. the concept of is, is something that exists. So what is it according to the Rambam, Shutfus is uh, a moral commitment that lasts as long as both parties wanted to. But they're yeah, if you right, you if you both agreed to be in, in exchange in a partnership, and now you want to break it, so now we have to decide what happened in the past, right? You right, you had obligations towards each other, just like if you worked, right? So you did this, you did that. Right? Nobody denies that you. Nobody denies what happened, but it has no consequences going forward. Right, like a contract, like an employment contract, because you can't be bound. Right now, the 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 response to that is saying, "What are you talking about? A shutfus is a mutual obligation. Mutual obligations are not related to avdus." Okay, but you can look at it and say, no, no, no. What's going on here is right. One, right, if we're looking formalistically, right. One person, we'll call right. We'll call in the Rambam says that kilibre Israel avadim means ein konin ze etze. It doesn't mean we ban slavery. It means that we ban the kinyan of a human being by another human being. And who cares if they do it mutually? That transaction doesn't exist. And the Ravid says no. The transaction exists, and now we have to figure out what the rules governing it are. Why shouldn't there be a transaction like that? Okay, that's at least one way of understanding the Machlokas Ramam and, Ramam and Ravid. And we can then say, oh look, so the Ramam Paskin is like Rab in the Yerushalmi. And he's coming from the language of the Yerushalmi, because he's not saying Pol Yochel because this is not a case of Pol Yochel He's coming from En Konin Zezet. The Ravid is only differing with him on, in the situation of Shutafus, right? 
Well, we don't know. We can line the Ravid up with all the other positions we saw in the Nesivas and the Ksos and say, since the Ravid allows this Kenyan, so maybe he allows everything to function in the grounds of Kenyan. He just, because he says, Ke'avadim. Right? We could do that. It would mess us up if we discovered the Ravid quoting the Pasuk, Kili Ben Yisrael Avadim. But where we are now, right, we, right, we, can, right, we can set everything up in these beautiful, sweeping conceptual patterns. The Raman Paskin is like Rav in the Yerushalmi. Uh, right, and he thinks it has nothing to do with employment law at all. It's a right, it's a din and kinyan, which could also be a very profound moral claim that people can't own each other. But it has no interesting consequences, right? It's a conceptual claim. And the Ravid says, no, right, we have a law of this, right? What's your basis for saying the law of this doesn't right is is this thing which has to be prevented at all costs? Torah says it. Okay. So with that Machlokas Ram and Ravid, right, so now Right, the Marik comes along, the Marik says, So there's a fight between two doctors who agreed to go into partnership. The right, they wrote they wrote it all up and they had, they signed the document with witnesses. Right, and they right, they take oaths in front of a Sefer Torah, right? All the ritual you could want to right, the solemn ritual you could want to establish this partnership. They actually implement it, so they don't claim that, it, that, it's, that it's in advance until you actually implement it. But then what happens after time? One of them opens an independent practice. All of a sudden, right, we'll call him Paul McCartney. <laughs> There's a one and a three, and one of them just, one of them just starts making solo records. Right, so that was right. So what? Are we, right, what are we? Sp- I watched the documentary. I think that I think it was Paul. Right, well, what I knew. Um, well, I haven't seen the documentary. The documentary, take that bias, or that's what you interpreted. As I interpreted it, right, you could say you know there are lots of other ways. It could all be still Bioko, right? Whatever. Right. Um, okay. Um, so now the Marik says. Ra'iti ate a shirpilpil v'nasa v'nasa and kalacha haluf v'chatano. Marina Rav Gershon, right? I saw that lots of people engaged, right? Because he thinks there was a Kinyan. right? But I think there was no Kinyan, um, there was no, there was no Kinyan at all. Okay, so he takes it as a factual question, right? Not whether a Kinyan is possible, but whether a Kinyan, right? But whether a Kinyan was done. Okay, now he quotes the Ravid and he says. Right, so we're going to claim right that there is a that if there was a Kenyan, so then we're going to get into Machlokas Ram and Ravid. But if there wasn't a Kenyan, nobody thinks that you can be bound to buy a shutfus, right? Nobody thinks the other things are binding, right? So that so right now all he does, right, all he does is um, is is right is claim that the outcome here should be. Uh, right, should be completely independent of the Machlokas, Ramam, and Raivet. Okay, that I think is where we need to stop. So um, next week we'll pick it up.